On today's episode, Dustin Warren, Director of Farmland Acquisitions, joins Dutch Mendenhall for a behind-the-scenes look at Rad Diversified's land acquisitions. Dustin shares a lesson in farmland economics, how to calculate potential yield, what makes for good yield, technologies used to increase yield, and more. You need to listen to the entire episode. Yeah, I mean, if we, for an example, um, if we can improve our soil and get greater yield, and you're going to spend the same same amount of three or four months of, of farming, right? Hey, but you get greater yield, you're still putting in the same amount of work to th- time into it, then you're going to be a benefit. If we go to a no-till, like a no-till farming, then we're not running. So let's slow down. So okay. we, we need like a glossary of terms. Right here, right now on the Rad Podcast, Explore Wealth. So did you bring the meat? I brought <laughs> I brought some meat. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're with Dustin Warren. He's the director of our farm acquisitions and land acquisitions. And he was here in the offices. And when he says he brought the meat, we now own 120 uh, cattle. 160. 160 cattle at Rad Diversified with the cool Rad logo on it. And I think that's cool. So Amy and I were hoping Dusty brought us some meat to Florida. And he did. So, you know, we still like you. I have to buy my way into the company somehow. Yeah. Dusty, tell everybody what's going on with our farms. You know, we're three quarters of the way through summer. There's cool stuff that's going on out there. We have a new farm that you just got back from visiting. Give everybody kind of an update. Yeah, so our Idaho farm um, and ranch is looking really, really good. Um, We've been pretty lucky this year with, we we planned a little bit later in the season because we were obviously installing our pivots and we got the pivots all finally installed. What's a pivot? Pivot. I don't know. Sorry. Uh, pivot is just a, it's an irrigation system. Um, what we've tried to do is eliminate a lot of our flood irrigation. There's a lot of waste with that. And so we put these pivots out so that we can basically do like a sprinkler system, right? And it just kind of drives over top of the crop, uh, pivots across the field, if you will. It's kind of a quick explanation on it for those that don't understand. But it's a pretty, pretty efficient way of getting water on the crops. We can measure it. Pivot yeah. helps us take land that we couldn't farm before and farm it for the first time and take land that wasn't farmed as well and farm it better um which all you know is to increase you know the income and different things um one of the questions the team asked you today and a bunch of our team was here we had about 60 of our team asking questions about our farms and what we're doing out there and those kind of things how was that for you actually being on the the spotlight and and our team just firing questions at you well it's good just to see their response and their you know there's a lot of people that have a lot of questions and they're trying to help everybody understand what we do. And so it was nice to be able to, for them, right. To be able to answer questions directly um, for you, directly to them and then to experience with them or let them know who I was so that it kind of brings everything full circle. If that makes any sense, just kind of brings the, the different teams that we have that everybody's kind of trying to get some tasks done and how do they, how do, do we bring them together to make kind of a, an ecosystem, so to speak at Rad Diversified. I, I was so, impressed by some of our investor relations team, how much they knew about our farms, how much they knew about our farming and those kind of things. And that's good. But I also was kind of like self-critical in the sense that we could provide them with more real-time education, like what's happening on the farms and different right. things. And granted, I know we post a lot on social and a lot of things, but there's more stuff we could be, you know, sharing with them and those kind of things. And I, so I think like maybe even creating like an article, like having, um, we'll interview you and create an article that those guys can read on. It would be like a, a good task going forward. One of the things they asked was about GMOs. Like what, what kind of farming are we doing? What's our focus? What's our environmental plan with our farms? And you know me, I'm just a bottom line guy. So I'm like, all right, how much, 
money do we need to put in? How much money is going to come out? What's the income going to be in it? And those kind of things. Yeah. So, and I'm a little bit different because I, uh, I focus on the long-term goals, right? As you do too, I know, but, but I don't worry as much about the financials. Um, right now I try to figure out how are we going to improve the land so that that money that we are talking that extra income we make based off of better yield. Right. Um, that's, that's kind of where I focus my attention. Um, improving well, the soil. Well, I think there's, that's an interesting thing, though, because there's, there's like people are always asking me what our goals are, right? And yeah. as a company, what are our goals? What are our goals, right? And I'm always like, I'm not worried about the goals. Like, I don't worry about whether we're going to hit 100 million in assets, 200 million assets, a billion in assets, right? I know that we're going to continue to grow, right? And when we jumped from to 100 and then we jumped to 200, I, you know, kind of blown away that we even got there because I'm not even paying attention to that top for me. It's kind of similar to you. Like I got to concentrate on individual numbers of farms because individual numbers of farms is how we have to calculate the different things we're doing for the returns for the investors. But it's kind of like similar in the sense with if you maximize the best performance on the individual farm, mm -hmm. the income will take care of itself. Yeah, I mean, if we, for an example, um, if we can improve our soil and get greater yield, and you're going to spend the same same amount of three or four months of, of farming, right? Hey, but you get greater yield because you're still putting in the same amount of work to time into it, then you're going to be a benefit. If we go to a no-till, like a no-till farming, then we're not running. So let's slow down. So okay. we, we need like a glossary of terms, right? Yeah. For farming for people that are listening, right? Okay. So a better yield, right? Yep. So what's what's an acre of hay? How many tons do we get out of an acre of hay? Depending on the year, obviously, has a lot of moisture depends upon what you're going to get. Meaning so what's that a, what, would, what would be a crappy yield? A crappy yield? Nothing, okay. <laughs> but, but I mean, no, really. from, from that's, nothing, that's reality. from nothing. Right. right? Um, I would say, uh, this year we've had a lot of dent, like really intense heat, right? It's not about, not as much about the moisture in the soil right now. For me, it's about the plant burning. So you've got like the, you've got this alfalfa, um, plant. It can't, can't really get the, the benefit of the moisture in the soil because it just, the sun is so intense right now, but it, you know, this year we're going to be somewhere around four tons of the acre. We really so are pushing do, for six. So if you do four, four tons in an acre, right? Mm -hmm. And let's just say that is worth $300 a ton, right? right? I know the price goes up. It's been up to as much as almost 400. It's been down to as much as 250 yep. in the last you know two years, right? So let's just call it 300 for the purposes of numbers. So yeah. 300 times four, four tons is $1,200, right? Now you take that times 1,000 acres, right? Um, 1,000 times 1,200 is 1.2 million, right? So when you talk about yields and you're talking about farms, now let's say you go and say six tons yeah. per acre, right? Well, now six right tons times 300 is 1,800 per an acre. So you would talk times 1,000 acres, 1 1.8 million. Yeah. So it's a $600,000 difference between a low yield and a high yield, right? Yeah. And the reality is as though the difference between low yield and high yield, so everybody kind of understands, the cost difference to operate is pretty micro, right? Now to get the yield to where it needs to be, there's always the front end investment, right? Yeah. But, but but year in, year out, there's a continuous investment that's not significantly different between the four and six tons, or is there? All that's just, you know, guesstimating from, from what I'm reading, but, but, but you can fix it. I can fix it. I can fix anything, right, in time. I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, there are some struggles with the weather that are always going to be a, a factor, right? We're going to have to struggle with that. Farmers have always had that problem where some years are really good, some years are not. You get greater yield one year versus another just based off of 
what let's say what moisture stored stored in this uh, the soil versus you know if we have a really good spring you're gonna have a lot greater yield in the beginning anyway but but the but the see, pivots I really throw, help us with that but I throw crazy ideas at you like like so Dusty was telling me how this year because of the heat and the dry how crops are burning and different things right I said well isn't there a way we can run like two lines left and right of you know a field and then actually tarp it for part or create shade right over part right. of the yeah. The crop for, for part of the year. And, and then I thought maybe I'm on crack thinking we could do something like that. But then Dusty said, you know, it's not such a bad idea. So, yeah, I mean, if we just have to just, what we'll do is we'll just test an area, whether we wanted to go with something black tarp that kind of shields it all during hottest part of the day, or do we want to do more of a, a net that kind of has some sort of re reduction in, in direct uh, sun rays, for example, we could try stuff like that just to see. I mean, I don't know anybody that's done it. So, um, I mean, I have we can, seen, we can nets. try on crops before, but maybe that's just specific crops yeah. that are out there. Like when you, when you drive through different farmland, you have seen stuff where it's covered in different ways, but maybe that's to keep other things, animals off it or. Right. And sometimes people else, will tarp them, you know, just to keep frost off of like yeah. tomatoes and things like that. Off. Yeah. yeah. But so, usually in smaller, like, like I see, like in Mexico, when you go through Mexico, you see, um, you see smaller, like you'll see like 10,000 or a thousand acres, but you'll see all their farming greenhouse. And, and you'll see it all, you know, yeah, trying to trap some of the smaller, moisture in the soil. Smaller portions. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there's different things that we can try. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of it. We're, we're going to go to a no-till, like, which we, I can describe real quick. A no-till is, is basically a, a way of planting a crop where you're, you're, it's like minimally invasive, invasive, right? You're trying to not disrupt the soil, um, and kind of let it act like mother nature neck has it always worked and intended right so if we can go in there and drill into the ground um a seed that uh we're not messing with the soil and just kind of trap some of that moisture that's already in there i think we're going to get better results it's kind of a lot of people are doing it they're really liking their results from it the other thing that that's nice about a like a no-till scenario is where you're not tilling up the ground and you're not disturbing it um a lot of people like it because if you do a no-till you just pass over at one time you're not having to pass over you know, you got a hundred acres, you're, you're tilling it, you're making it this really nice dirt exposed piece of ground. And then you're coming back a second time and wasting fuel twice. Cause you're basically doing it, you know, you're covering the same land twice. So the no-tills are really good for that. Um, and a lot of guys like to do a no-till because they can kind of leave a lot of the existing, like let's say they go in there and you're combining and you have all your, your byproducts coming out the back end of the, of the, the swathers and not the swathers, excuse me, but the combine, excuse me, it kicks it out and you can just really utilize that as um, a way to put natural fertilization to the soil, if that makes any sense. So um, I think no-till drill is kind of a, a direction that we're going to go um, and amongst other things, which I'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. So I don't know what we're going to talk about in a minute, but we're just flying by the seat of, by the seat of our pants. The topic that comes to mind, you were talking to me about bamboo, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, Bamboo is something we can talk more in depth about, but talk about like as you're exploring different, you know, commodities, right? For us to be able to sell in the open market, different things. Like talk about your research. Talk about how you're kind of diving into that. Um, yeah, that's fine. I, I I'm kind of excited about the opportunity with bamboo. I don't know the exact percentage. Um, I wish I could get it to you right now. I, it just slips my mind on the exact amount of how much America imports bamboo from other other places. Uh, I don't know the exact number. It's like 70 or 80%, maybe even more than I can't remember the exact number I read. And, and I didn't do it very long ago. Just I got a lot of garbage in my, in my brain. Right. So I apologize about not having that exact number, but 
one of the things because we are importing so much of it and we're using it and it's becoming more and more popular because it's such a it's a lot easier as a renewable resource that we we could uh, capture um it grows fast it, it it's got a, a short um growth season if you will so from plant to harvest you're looking at about 10 12 years um the numbers that i'm running right now if if we I'm, I'm guessing from what I can tell, and, and we're still working through the numbers to verify and to kind of back check ourselves on it, but it's somewhere between 12 and, and $22,000 an acre in profit. For um, how many years? About 10 years. About 10 years. Yep. 10 to 12 years. And so that's a pretty good return. You know, it really is. Um, we're excited about the opportunities uh, that it, that it could bring to the table. And again, I'm still trying to vet that and to see if it's really marketable for what we're doing. Um, so, uh, I, I would say that we don't want to get too many people hooked on it right now. Cause it might be a kind of a cool market for us that, that not a lot of people are diving into, but there are people that are in it and we're trying to get into a co-op with them, trying to help have them help coaches through some of the areas that, that I don't fully understand yet, but, uh, they've been really very receptive because they really want it to, to really I mean, grow within the United States. Co-oping and farming is like an interesting concept, right? Because like, We've been able to utilize, um, you know, different places to be able to get financing for equipment. We've been able to utilize um, different, I think, co-ops to bring in seed and different things. And then you guys kind of have a natural co-op with the cattle farmers um, from where you're where you're from in, in Idaho, where you guys kind of support each other. Um, you know, if they need to do branding, then you yeah. know you go up there and support them. If they need to move a large herd, then then you guys. You know, but if we needed help, they come and help us um, or even, you know, yeah. getting getting cows inseminated or, or whatever else. Right. So how much time do you spend getting cows inseminated is the real question. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a big deal. Usually it takes a few days, a week, roughly be between different things we do. We put cedars in, um, pull the cedars out. I mean, there's there's a bunch of terminology there that we can get into further on another maybe later. But I mean, podcast, but. I mean, more of talking about like the co-op, right? With Okay in the farming world and, and what kind of exists. And, and so, so I've got some friends that are, that run cattle, um, that are in, in, in Idaho and they're pretty good friends of mine. And so they'll call me and say, Hey, I need, I really need your help. Can you come and spend a day or two? Um, we are going to run 300 cows. So we'll go and dock brand 300 cows. We'll process them. And then, and then we'll, um, once we're done, we'll move them from one location to the other. So three or four times a year, I'm out helping them. Um, but the beauty is, is that, um, I ran into a scenario where, where it was our turn to, to be able to capitalize on, on that help. And I just called them and said, Hey, I'm going to be processing our cattle on this day. Are you available? And they're like, we'll make it, make ourselves available. And they were there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so that's the beauty of the, the, the community. So the, the ranch and farm community, they're very willing to help each other out. Um, sometimes that's hard because when you're in the middle of your own stuff, it's hard to sneak away, but, um, it's, it's amazing that people will show up. I mean, I remember stories that, that I've read where you've got a guy with cancer or whatever it might be, or he's injured and the crops are not going to be able to be harvested or it's a widow who just lost her husband earlier that year and they got all this crop they have to take care of. And the community shows up and there's like 30 tractors in our fields and they are going to town helping them get harvest in for the year. Um, my brother who is in the potato industry, he, uh, He's got a tight network where, you know, frost is coming and, and the freeze is coming. So you have all these farmers that are basically piggybacking and running their equipment to help each other out. It's, it's amazing uh, how involved as a community the, the, the farming and ranching is. So it's 
co-op or a community, however you want to word it. It's, it's a, it's pretty cool. So been so, fun to be part of. So when we buy a farm virtually, um, in Tennessee, right. Um, the most recent we farm we purchased in Tennessee is 1400 acres, right? How do you approach that? Like, I know there's a way you approach it in your backyard, but right. One of the most common questions we always get from people is, well, how do you going to manage it? How are you going to operate it? How are you going to run it? Right. Yeah. How are you going to make sure it's successful? How do you make sure it doesn't turn into this or that? Right. All the what ifs. And I think our investors are always asking the what ifs because they're, they're reasonably wanting to know, right. Is their money safe? Right. Is their money protected? Right. And I think that's always a reasonable investor question. Well, how do you run that, you know, Tennessee farm? So some of the things that I do just to calculate risk, I, I'm probably a little bit more into watching the risk side of things than others. Um, but what I try to do is I try to always plan for the worst case scenario. I think you and I are always talking about having that discussion. You're like, yeah. I don't care about, I mean, you do care about the, the risk, obviously, but you're also, well, don't give me just the risk. Make sure you give me the potential too. Like you're, you're always worried about the potential. Yeah. Well, I always want right? to know, I always want to know what's worst case scenario, yep. best case scenario, and what's most likely, right? Yeah. Those are the three things in every assessment of every deal that is there. I think you, in my experience, right? I tend to be on the lower end. Yeah, you default worst on the case. worst case scenario, which is fine. Which is what I'll discuss right now. So then when you and I talk, though, more, you're going to default on the, you're going to hear more of best case scenario from me or wanting to know what that is because you default to worst case. So like Dory with, with our residential real estate, right? He'll, he'll do lots of times best case scenario, um, and he'll do sometimes, um, worst case scenario, but the most likely scenario, right. He, he doesn't, we don't talk about it so much. Right. And so he'll find me driving home a lot of times with him, like here, what's the most likely scenario. Right. Um, cause he does really good with best and worst. Right. Right. So, so you'll, you'll find me in those things. Cause like, to me, those are like three, it's like, give me the three numbers on a deal. Right. But it's really, I just want to know worst case, best case. And most likely, and there might right. be, you know, 10 different numbers for worst case and 10 different numbers for best case. And so you might have 30 numbers between the three, but yeah. So from a, from a standpoint on Tennessee, the first thing I did is I looked at worst case scenario and my worst case scenario told me that in the event that we don't have enough help, let's say that there's a shortage mm -hmm. of, of personnel. And that's probably a question that a lot of people are asking. What if you don't have the right people? Well, everything I buy, I try to do to where it's only run by one or two people, right? Um, and it's always easier to have two people, but, but like Weezer right now, Weezer from a farming aspect is being run, um, incredibly efficiently by, by Keith. Mm -hmm. We've given him some tools to be able over to over 2000 acres. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I run the cows. I do all my travel and I do all the stuff that I'm doing for the company, but I run the cows because I enjoy it. Um, it's almost we, like somebody else going to a baseball game. Like, like you're, you running cows is like, like somebody else who's got baseball as a hobby. It's, it's kind of therapeutic. I mean, you do it for me. There's an income yeah. side to it, but you do it because you love it. I do because I love it. Exactly. But on the back end of it, we're going to get to the point where, because we're growing and everything that I'm going to have to let that go. But Keith is running the farm stuff by himself. He's doing a fantastic job and he works some hours for us that are long, but that's, that's farming, right? Um, but on the back end, let's say uh, Tennessee doesn't, we're having an issue with hiring people, which hasn't been my, my experience. I, I get calls all the time, people begging to work for us. Um, they want to run farms. It's just something that the people really enjoy. They want that opportunity. So I'm not really worried about that. So here, here's a quick plug, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll drop a link into the chat description, right? And like, so we're going to create a training program, right? Because we're going to continue to buy farms 
constantly. And these farms are pretty amazing. I mean, they're 1,400, 2,000 acres. Mm -hmm. um, lots of them have nice houses on them, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's a pretty incredible lifestyle for somebody who wants to run a farm, who has some farming experience, some farming background. Yeah. Um, and so what we're doing through our Weezer farm is we have several houses on property. Yeah. And we're going to be bringing people through to actually train under Keith that can go run other farms for us, right? And we're not selling yeah. anything here. It's more, it's an actual job, right? It's an ability for someone to say, hey, this is the lifestyle I want and this is what I want to do. And I feel like I have the background experience, the work ethic. Because if you don't, we're not willing to work hard, farm life is not for you, right? So we'll drop a link in there just so people can create a kind of like a, a list, right? A waiting list and different things. And, and that way we just... Yeah have the interest of people who want to do that. I've been wanting to do that through our social firm a while. So our team can drop a link on there. And I look to my right because that's where they are standing over there. Right. But yeah. but we'll um, drop a link in there and then we can create a clip on that. Because I think Weezer is at a point, you know, where, you know, with that 20, you know, 700 acres in Weezer County, where we're ready to train people and, and ready to, you know, start preparing more people as they go out around the country and, and run farms. So technology is huge. Yeah, technology is huge for us. And 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 to back up real quick, so one of the things about Weezer that's nice is we got Keith who, who's running that. He's willing. He's a very good teacher. So we want to bring people in that we can either train or we can use as a vetting process because a lot, a lot of people say that they know a lot about it. Um, but we get to see somebody's medal right, you know, right out the gate. Just put them on some tasks and, and we can really get a good feel on whether they're a good fit for us. So I think that's that's great that, you, that we can throw that out there for people to kind of reach out to us and tell us that they're interested. Um, but back, back onto the Tennessee property, if I may, what I've done is I've looked at it from how can this property be run without anybody? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm developing a, a thing right now where uh, I got my brother helping me. And uh, we actually later this week on Friday, we're meeting with um, the guy that runs Simplot. He's kind of a mm -hmm. salesman for Simplot. And we're going to go meet with him and figure out what is it, you know, we've got him on board to help us. They can plant for us. They can harvest for us. They can put fertilizer down if we need them to. I mean, I've got it all set up to where we don't actually need anybody. Mm -hmm. But that that's costly, right? So we can still get the gains that we that we we can still get gain out of it. We can still make money and generate that revenue that we need, but not if, as if we had somebody that we can owner operate. Mm -hmm. We prefer owner operated on everything we do, but we are set up in a good position where we don't have to. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we always have the potential of. Um, buying the property and sitting on it and then having it leased out because the lease market mm -hmm. is starting to grow. And so we have that option as well. We, we like to own or operate everything yeah. though. I think the reason I don't like the lease option is I just don't feel like they pay us on a prosper acre, right? That, that makes sense. Um, I think it's usually a temporary solution for us. Now I think yeah. for yeah. farmers or I think people that own a lot of land that get that are, that are aging and don't want to operate and run their own land, lease might be a great option for them and stuff. Right. But then I feel like for us, we're not maximizing income. Right. Um, and we're also not necessarily, here's my problem with leasing. Like, like I do, I do kind of look down on it in the sense that like, I just don't feel like there's many people leasing land and maybe this has just been my experience with it to this point that are going to lease the land and take care of it the way we would take care of it. Right. Um, and it's always been my struggle, right? Same with property managers in our business. The reason we property manage all our properties is because I've never felt that leasing companies or property management companies take care of our properties and take care of our tenants the way we would. And, and, and so it's really important to me that the land be taken care of. Talk a little bit about like our kind of our conservation, maybe mindset or, or attitude toward, towards our land. Yeah. So I think the, the comment that was brought up today in our meeting um, was somebody asking about the GMO, right? Mm -hmm. And I think our goal as a company is we're trying to 
we're trying to implement all of, of these different, how do I word this? Like we want to not use, you know, the we want to run as pure, lives. we call it yeah. pure lifestyle or we want to yeah. pure healthy organic, you know, I think is, is definitely a goal that we have for our farms. Um, I think in the beginning, that's always the most difficult, right. To do because, because you're, you're inheriting, right. An existing landscape an existing farm that's been run in an existing way for a long time. And so those things take time to transition, to reclaim soil, um, and, and get it, get it back to where it's supposed to be to its natural state. So what we're going to do, um, is we're going to implement more of the, we're going to use like, um, we're going to use cows, right? So let's say we got a 80 acres worth of corn and we just get done cutting it. Well, we're going to pull our cows in. We're going to fence it off and put a hot wire around it and let the cows come in and eat it. So we're not only saving our, our money by not having to feed hay for a month or so out of the, out of a month of the year, right? They're also naturally fertilizing. But they're naturally fertilizing it, right? So we're going to try to implement some more of those um, different types of techniques, right? To, to help prevent the use of artificial fertilizers. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we're going to do. The, the, the pure goal is right. Is we buy as much good American farmland as we can raise capital to buy. Yeah. And we, we handle it, manage it and treat it like American farmland should be treated. And that's, that's incredibly important to me. And, and I feel like it's making an impact when I talk with, you know, one of our team, you know, Chris Pulitzer is a big part of, you know, um, our rad America and our rad land and, you know, we've been doing some deep research and he brought me that, you know, foreign investors own 35 million acres um, in, in the United States. And uh, China owns several million acres in the United States. And I look at that and I'm just kind of blown away. If you looked at um, the Homeland Security, you look at um, national security threats to the United States, right? China has been elevated to the top national security threat to the United States, you know, over Russia. And, and I know it's kind of a different type of topic, but at the same time, like for me, I feel like what we're doing by buying more American farmland bought by Americans, right? Cause all of our, you know, investors, right. Bought by Americans. Um, I feel like, you know, there's a greater purpose and cause behind what we're doing. I still will never understand why our government allows, you know, the country that is the greatest, you know, foreign threat to us as a nation to own farmland in, in our country. But, but, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the mission or the cause or the purpose, you know, the greater mission we have. Well, I mean, I think you just said it. It really is trying to preserve our our soil for growing crops to feed our families. I mean, that we live in America. I think we should, I hope that we all love where we live. And, and we're not perfect. We know that, right? We've got a long ways to go, and we've but we've come a long ways too. But I, I think from my perspective... The goal I've always had is, I mean, I, when you die, you don't take nothing with you. So anything that you can give while we're here, a legacy or kindness or whatever it might be, what an opportunity to, for us to be able to buy and preserve America's soil to feed American families. Now, that's not to say we don't care about the rest of the world, but strengthening ourselves is a way of being able to do that, right? Being, being the strongest so, country in the world has allowed us to impact the rest of the world. Yeah. And people, people can't, you know, they don't quite comprehend that if like you don't take care of what's here, how can we impact the rest of the world? How can we plant seed in the rest of the world? Like Ben Shapiro said, and, and I'm going to get the analogy wrong of what he said, but basically he was like, yeah, America is the greatest country in the world. And someone said, well, what are your facts? How do you back that up? 
and he went through a list of facts and reasons he backed it up because we're not perfect. Yeah. Right. And so what I thought of in that moment was I thought of my kids. Right. I love my kids more than anything in the world, but they're sure as hell not perfect. Right. And, and but neither am I. So, you know, it's yeah. it's it's pretty reason, pretty reasonable. If somebody thinks America sucks, then they have some real to me ego issues about about themselves, in my own opinion. But yeah, just different experiences that they've had that makes them feel that way. I, I agree with you. The kids thing is a great point. You know, I mean, I've got six kids. And so um, I just think about their future and what what are we leaving them? Is it what happens in the next few years? I mean, I, I can see with the shortages of food and obviously we're kind of seeing a drought across the United States. Like what's going to happen with all of our. In a world where food. there should never be a shortage of food. Right. And, yeah. and with the land and the mass that we have, there should never be that should never be a conversation. Right. But yet even in the richest country in the world, even in, you know, the most powerful country in the world. Right. There was food supply chains in the last two years. There was yeah. serious issues and the inflation and the cost of food is going up for lots and lots of reasons. Right. And and the reality is, is, is like the question doesn't make all of it doesn't make ABC logical sense. But all what I know is, is that like if we're continuing to do what's right and as as, as our individual selves and, and what we invest into with farmland, then then we're making an impact. I agree. I, I just, I, I just looking at how, how influential, um, we can be for each other, just supporting each other and how powerful that is. You know what I mean? And so that's one thing about Brad that's exciting to me and the opportunity that I have. I mean, I, I really look at it when I'm going out and buying stuff. It's to me, it's satisfying to be able to create or turn this piece of dirt, um, and turn it into a food source to support more than just one or two families. I mean, that's, pretty powerful right to be able to feed that many people i think about all the people in the world that make millions of dollars that don't need a job why are they still working and if you ask them what's their purpose and they're like well my purpose is to feed all these families to support my employees and they could have retired years prior to that but they do it because they're trying to help as many people because that's their legacy so what are we leaving you know well i think it's fascinating right so for you you found passion combined with career combined with yep. with with role right yeah and and i think that's fascinating because it's not like you, you like you knew how to make money and you made money and you made you know decent money but your passion was always in farming your passion was always in you know the land your passion was always in cattle right because yeah. you, you love your cows right and and so i think that's fascinating how you know through rad you found the vehicle right because it's not like you didn't yeah. know enough about farming it's not like you didn't know enough about it's not like you didn't run your own ranch you ran your own ranch effectively right and so like it's not like but now with rad you found a vehicle where, where you can go do it on a scale right we can go do it you know the funny thing is as an individual we're so limited yeah in resources and and but together like in the mass there's this massive amount of resources right and it, it's like if i were to say i was going to go buy three years ago you know a two thousand acre farm I would have said, man, that's like, like maybe, right? Maybe, but, but now, you know, we're, we're 4,000 acres in now we're, you know, heading into 5,000 acres, we'll head into six and then we'll be at 10,000 acres as a company. Right. Yeah. But now as the gathering, as the group, right. As the com combination, we can, we have just so much more power, right. Than as we do as individuals. So I, I, I just find how often these concepts cross over each other, where it's, you know, if you talk about your community 
and farmers having each other's backs and what you're capable of doing to manage, you know, cattle and, and herd is probably the wrong term. Um, but mm-hmm. is a herd the right term? Yeah, I screw up these terms sometimes when it comes to farming. So you have that community, right? And then within our ride community, right, you have the ability to do more together than by yourself or then, you know, you have vehicles, right, to be able to go do more things. When I talk about vehicles, people, I just talk about income vehicles. There's different ways that people make income or different sectors of, of income vehicles. And so, you know, one of Rad's, you know, income vehicles is is obviously our income produce income producing farms. What else would you think would be cool for people to know about, you know, our farming or our approach or how we how we look at things? Interesting stuff. I mean I think that people should probably maybe understand, you know, how how lucky we feel, right? Like mm-hmm. like from my perspective there's a lot of ranchers and farmers out there right now that that are in a position where they've done this their whole lives, right? It's like me prior to my involvement with Rad, where I've had some property, I sold some property, I did really well on it. But then I look at, I, I've always wanted to have a ranch. I always wanted to run my ranch. That's kind of was like my long-term goal is to finish my corporate career and then leave it at some point and then just kind of ranch and farm and hang out i just got you to leave it sooner much sooner like way sooner than i thought i was going to be able to do and so but i just want everybody to kind of understand that i mean we feel pretty blessed because it you know we've been able to make it happen so from my perspective that's where i'm at with it um and also there's a lot of people out there that that want this but they can't and so maybe like my mind tells me that with what we're doing in the growth, maybe there's opportunities in the future that we haven't thought of yet. Maybe like meaning we can bring people on and, and help them get to a point where they're, they're running their own farm or their own ranch for rad diversified, but it's their baby, like empowering people to be able to, to get what they want. Right. Well, and I think that's pretty it. cool. I think everybody who invests into like, you know, rad diversified rad and, and or rad land. Right. I think they are now, in, in essence, right, they have an equity piece, they have a stock yeah. price, right, they have a stock piece, right, in land, in farming, right, yeah. and they're a part of the journey. I've always believed that, you know, one of the greatest powers for our team and our people that work here at RAD is they can invest in deals, they can invest in real estate. And we have a ton of um, team members here at RAD that have invested in their own deals and their own real estate through the company, and, you know, um, a lot of our employees obviously are, are you know, own stock, right, in yeah. RAD, I know you, that you do, yeah. um, and so, you know, I think that's kind of the cool thing is that like you are in the game and I think that's always step one. I always teach everybody, like if you want to be a real estate investor, you want to build wealth, you want to get into it. Well, then you got to be in the game. Yeah. And and if you're not in the game, then then the longer you're not in the game, the longer it'll be before you get into the game. Right. And the more significant the threshold that you have to cross to get in the game is the longer you wait. And so I always think I like that. I've always liked that part of part of rad and, and what that that does for people because it creates an immediacy into being 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 in the game. So we are out of time, but we're going to wrap up. But I think it was pretty cool. I think we shared a lot. I think people got a lot out of it. No, no, our team, our, our guys here in the studio had great questions, right? Um, one of the things they wanted to ask about is future properties. Why don't you just kind of run through some of the stuff you're looking at? I mean, we've looked at everything from a you know $20 million property in, in Utah um, in the last couple months to you know, a thousand, a thousand acres that, that we can buy dirt cheap that we think we can actually turn into something, you know, maybe pretty incredible. Um, but why don't you take people through some of it? I know Northeast is one of our next, you know, 
yeah, journeys. A couple of things real fast here. We're looking at some properties um, that are right on the East Coast, and I'm pretty excited about the, the potential there. Um, I've been running the numbers. Um, I've triple and quadruple checked myself, and so we'll be making a play on that here this week. Um, the other thing that's kind of exciting um, is some di for some di diversity. I'm actually headed to a place uh, this week here in a couple of days, and we're going to go look at it. And they they have rice on the property, so it's a it's a crop that we don't currently grow on anything that we own now. So I'm excited about that. So as far as future growth opportunities, we're trying to expand and have some diversity to our portfolio as far as the farming and ranching. So rice is our our next target. I mean, so many things have trade offs, right? Like if you do the same crop. Um, over and over and over, there's there's definitely a knowledge bank and there's definitely a knowledge skill to that. But there's also a risk um, to being, you know, very segmented into into a singular singular crop, right? Um, something goes wrong with an industry, something goes wrong, uh, the market gets flooded by a certain crop for some reason, right? Um, I know in the 80s, my, my actually my parents were invested very much into the, the I believe it was the wheat market i could be wrong but they're very much grain they're invested heavily into grain and then the federal government released federal reserves of grain and the price of grain fell through fell through the ground right um and sometimes you know our government doesn't understand all of the consequences of different actions and they go try and fix one problem and then another problem occurs and that's not a criticism that's just life right yeah. i think sometimes you try to fix one thing and you can create another problem and you got to be able to see seven steps 12 steps down the road at least every time i try to fix something or change something in rad i'm trying to look 25 steps down the road of what other problem that can create by fixing you know the, the challenge here so um so but then the trade-off with diversified crops right um, is, is you have to work hard at the research, hard at the knowledge, hard at the of, of getting deep into, you know, an industry. But then the nice part is you're also diversified. So there's less, you know, singular crop risk of, of something going wrong in an industry. So, yeah. And just to, to give you a quick example, a, a friend of mine who's a very, very good farmer, um, he, he actually got in some relationship with Korea on some, bu um, some buck oats. And uh, right now there's some issues with that market and so he has these buck oats that he really can't market against he can't do anything with them so they're just kind of kind of a waste form there's no money what, in them what are buck oats they're oats just oats. They're, they're buck oats they just have a buck strain in them what other properties are we looking at what other properties um so right now i'm really just trying to we've got a place right down the road from our tennessee property mm -hmm. um it's like an eight minute drive around the back roads, but it's all, it's like, there's an, maybe a mile between the two properties mm -hmm. that we're looking at adding to what we already have. So we're trying to build out from what we already have just for economies of scale. Yeah. Um, so that's another one. And then there's another property that doesn't really focus as much on the agricultural side of things, but um, it, it might give us some timber potential. So it's just marketable timber. Um, it, it's kind of a unique property. It's got a bunch of houses on it different facilities that are kind of unique. Um, so and I, I do think, you know, vertical integration wise, right, with RAD diversified, I do think there'll be a time where, you know, we, maybe we have our own timber operation, right? And so right now, continuing to buy timber, continuing to buy timber, you know, uh, farmland with timber on it is good because it's planting the seed for the future, right? Um, right now, it's easy for us to go ahead and have somebody else, right, bring in and take the timber out and, and be able to sell that at cost. But as we continue to grow rad diversified we don't know how deep you know the vertical integration will go over time with that said we are a wrap and we're at the end of time you did great dusty 
Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rad Podcast, Explore Wealth. If you would like more information, please visit our website, www.raddiversified.com. That's www.raddiversified.com. If you like what you're listening to, please rate our podcast and leave us a review. For more content, visit our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast. And always, like, follow, and share.